G'day, Justin Morris here, Mind Matters Athlete Coaching Podcast. We're here at a Starbucks in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I got some special guests this time. Got Mr. Tasman Nankervis, part of the Lifetime GP series, and his girlfriend, Mon Holmes, who's the star of the show here at the moment. Mon, you just finished the Ironman in Madison here yesterday. How are you feeling? Uh, pretty wrecked, definitely at the moment. Very sore, but uh, super happy and proud to uh, be a first-time finisher. So, yeah. Good on you. And you're from uh, Masterton, Victoria, coming over here, joining Taz on his journey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Masterton kind of grew up, then been in Melbourne for a while, and yeah, we'll be joining Taz up in Bendigo after the trip. Beautiful, beautiful Bendigo. Speaking of Bendigo, that's where our uh, our other guest here, Mr. Tasman Nankovis, is from. Taz, you've been here in the USA since May this year. Can you tell us about what you're doing here and a bit about this new Lifetime GP series you're a part of? Yeah, so like December last year, got the call up to join the Lifetime Grand Prix. Uh, be one of the 35 athletes selected. And uh, yeah, planned my ass off for a few months and then we've been over here for... Well, since May, and now it's nearly four months later, uh, September, and yeah, competing in some of the biggest off-road events in the US, the gravel and mountain bike races. I've done four rounds now. Um, we have the fifth, well, uh, well, sixth round, really. I've skipped one of them at the start, um, coming up next weekend, and yeah, it's so over here, traveling and racing and uh, checking out the USA. Now, Taz, you're a well-known cyclist in Australia, former national champion on the mountain bike you've done road nats you've done tour down under you've done gravel races all over the joint how does this racing here in the usa this is your first season as part of this lifetime gp how do you find it compares to racing back home in oz what's the big differences you can notice uh well the event's a lot longer they've all been um just ridiculously long i think well we did unbound that was well nearly 300 kilometers um 200 mile and I think some of the shortest races I've done have been about six hours long. So, uh, yeah, all ultra-endurance, um, high elevation. Yeah, I mean, most races I've done here have been at least 2,000 metres or above, I'd say. I've done... A bit higher than Bendigo. Oh, a bit higher than Australia. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I did the Breck Epic six-day stage race at 3,000 metres. I've done Leadville... 3,000 metres and both those events went up to nearly 4,000 so yeah getting adjusted to altitude it's been extremely difficult and and a a steep learning curve Um, but also then another difference is the competition's been super hot here I think everyone said it Um, the Grand Prix's really accelerated Uh, the amount of lead athletes coming to the US and the current crop of lead athletes just honing in their ultra endurance craft and and chasing uh chasing the prize money in the series and the and the i guess potential um rewards that come with it with a bigger brand exposure and a bit of a platform for the racing series which i think um us has missed for a while and something that oz has missed for a long time as well and there's a good proper series here and a big platform to perform on and it's yeah just made everything that bit bigger so that's pretty cool, and that's an interesting point. The cycling life here, especially with this Lifetime Grand Prix, it's really taken off in this past few years, and 
the amount of exposure, um, attention that this series, and particularly these big races like Leadville and Unbound, are getting is really so different to what we would have been used to growing up in Australia. How have you found that, you know, adapting to a different, I suppose, culture, for want of a better term, around the sport? How have you found that, uh, that adjustment to a different style, a different approach to racing? Uh, it is quite funny, like, the, the build-up to these events, uh, uh, this, uh, it seemed to be a lot, lot bigger. Um, you know, people are at the events for weeks beforehand and, and the prep's a lot... Like, people just have more time to prep, I think. There's more professionals doing it. And, yeah, just, like, the media coverage is, is, is so much bigger. Uh, like, you know, you walk around the pits and every second athletes got a camera following them around and that's something just unheard of in australia can't we just rock up on the on the friday night for the saturday race and just go and do it but here it's just yeah on another level and i think they say america's the high five country and just like people are just frothing it um there's masters riders that put in as much preparation as the elite riders uh yeah it's just a it's definitely um yeah, different different culture and uh, scene over here, that's for sure. Definitely a change from oh, what you and I have been used to back back home in Oz. Now, so you grew up in Bendigo. You're from a large family. Can you tell us a bit about your youth and how did cycling become such a big part of your life? Yeah, I grew up um, yeah in Bendigo. I'm from a large family. I'm one of six kids. Um, currently have seven nieces and nephews so we're yeah, yeah. family's pretty important uh, yeah yeah brother and sisters um, all have all have kids besides my next closest brother Russell uh, yeah grew up in a boat mechanic family well it's uh, three generations now my yeah. granddad started it uh, late late nine, in 1960 um, so business is, is yeah nearly it's only seven years old now. Um, he worked on cars in Spring Gully, yeah. uh, and then they shifted out to Lake Epilock, uh, which is a big lake, like 20 minutes out of Bendigo, and started their own business. They um, oh, and with his twin brother as well. Yeah. And yeah, they they made Nankervis boats and they produced boats for quite a few years. And there's still a lot of Nankervis ski boats getting around, and they had, I think they had. Uh, over 50 employees at one stage working out the lake uh, and then my dad took that over with the business in our backyard for a few years when I was growing up uh, I think all my siblings have worked at the family business uh, literally all of us at some capacity you know, my sisters <laughs> like helped out as much as any of us did I worked there for years um, and now my two older brothers work there uh, still with my father my granddad's 95 yeah. He um, up until about he was ninety, he was still in there every day, yeah. like non-stop rain, hail, or shine. If he had a cold, anything, he'd still still rock up. Um, he's he's showing his age a little bit more now, and he only comes in every now and then. But um, yeah, he still oversees things a little bit, and uh, yeah, so yeah, we. Uh, Working class family background, I guess. And does that, does any part of you look at the boat mechanic life? And I mean, you've been exposed to it your whole life. Is there any part of you that's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You want to go down that avenue and stay in the family business? Or have you left that to your siblings? 
no, nah, there's, there's enough of my, fam- of my family members working there <laughs> yeah. at the moment. But um, I definitely tried. Like, I mean, I worked there since I was, uh, yeah, even even like before, I guess, 16. You're always helping out and doing things. But, um, yeah, got a good appreciation for what they do and they create some some pretty cool projects. And But, yeah, I definitely know it's not, not my uh, hobby. I respect the... Uh, the motorsport industry and everything like that, but I don't have the same passion they do. And you've been uh, using the uh, engine uh, within your body for your hobby over the past uh, probably more than or more than a decade now. And your brother Russ also quite famous in Australian mountain biking. How did uh, mountain biking become such a big and cycling in general become such a big part of your life? Uh, it started with my, uh, I guess my older brother Rowan. Initially, he. Um, I don't even know how he really picked it up, but he got involved with the Benio Mountain Bike Club and then Russ and I just followed what he was doing and, yeah, pretty quickly we uh, were in the Benio Cycling Club as well, even as early as kind of under 11s, under 13s. Um, we were doing road mountain bike road races and mountain bike races on Sundays um, and, yeah, from there we... Uh, Benio is such a cycling hub. Um, we've got really quite established clubs and there's a lot of people that ride in Bendigo and it's not as like when I was riding I still had juniors around me things like that which is some towns in Australia don't have and yeah it's pretty fortunate to have a, a uh, yeah bike friendly culture to grow up in. And was that kind of motivating within your club I mean the Bendigo Cycling Club probably one of the most successful in the, all of Australia and per capita Bendigo probably produced the most amount of professional cyclists as any other place in the country was that kind of motivating there was your peers like Jack Haig, Chris Hamilton riders like that were coming up amongst you and then there was the elders like uh, Darren Lapthorne and so forth was that motivating for you do you think that played a big role in your development like having so many high performers around you oh yeah massively um when you can see where you can get to it's such a benefit and you know our our bunch rides are half on if, on the weekdays half of them can be professionals like uh, particularly when I was growing up and particularly when like the Australian team was doing really well on the road you know we had so many drapack riders and things like that in our bunch um, yeah so you can learn off those you know those seasoned pros that you know, we had like you have the tiers you have the seasoned pros you have the new pros you had people close to it and then you had people that just ride every day and and just super fit and um yeah it's a pretty special culture to have now i know you grew up with a lot of high performers and one of your best mates and was also professional in in the road racing uh jason lowndes uh very high performer and he obviously he came to a rather tragic hold a few years ago in 2017 i believe and I know his his story is a big part of your life, and can you tell us a bit about uh, Jason and what his uh, his legacy means to you in cycling? Yeah, I think ah, uh, oh, like we grew up not too far apart. There was kind of like we had a good friend Tyler lived in between uh, Jason and I, and we're probably only a few k apart. Um, we'd ride to school all together, um, and Lounsey always had this ability to enjoy himself, whatever he was doing. Always had a smile on his face. Yeah. Oh yeah, even if it annoyed team managers or whatever, like he, he always kept to his core value of, of having fun. Um, I think that's something that's that, that's kept with me is, you know, sometimes when I'm complaining about something stupid or you know like, 
I was like, oh, realistically, like if I'm not enjoying it, why I, sh- you know, I should enjoy it first and 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 not sweat the small things, I guess. Um, yeah, and that's something that always keeps in, in my cycling and my travels and day to day is um, he's had this ability to to always enjoy what he's doing, no matter no matter what the pressures were, as well. Like, even when he was even when he was pro. Um, he was always that rider sneaking in chocolate into his room or, like, you know, going to the buffet or yeah. getting on the piss sometimes. Yeah. He still knew how to, how to um, enjoy it, but it also he got the best out of himself because of that. Um, that's something that, that stayed with me. And we had such a special upbringing in Benio having, like, my... Some of the, the juniors that we had were Jack Haig, Robbie Harker, like, Chris Hamilton, and my brother Russ. Yeah. Like, that was our core group that we rode. And they, it wasn't like we were, like... Uh, like, we were all guys that just rode together every day of the week. Like, it wasn't like uh, we all lived far away and we all did our random training sessions yeah, by yeah. ourselves. Like, we had sessions like Monday Night Madness where we'd all go riding together after school and do jumps and um, just muck around and things like that. And it's pretty cool. So, you like, when you're growing up, people aren't on structured plans doing four minutes on efforts and so you're just mucking around together smashing on monday nights and going having fun together yeah oh yeah we knock off school go to maccas buy a four pack of uh soft serves all the time because <laughs> yeah. they're really cheap yeah, <laughs> or you go to like, fish and chip shop or you go to alding buy some cheap cheap soft drink or something like that and then yeah just basically just go go shredding in, on their mountain bikes till it was dark and Whoever had the biggest crash or did the best descent was the cool guy for the night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, Jason, I know I came to his life was ended, but in a tragic uh, road accident. And uh, we're sitting here in our kit. We just did a ride. You've got your kit on. It's bright orange. And I know this means something to you and something about the message that um, Lounsey's accident kind of can can portray to the West, rest of the world. Can you tell us a bit about what the orange means to you and the message that it carries? It's just about doing your part to be road safe. I know um, a lot of the brands now have got these autumn tone and yeah. like every everyone's going autumn tone and dark colours and things like that, but we've got to do our part. And it's also got the logo in our kit, uh, on the kit, Eyes Wide Open, which was started by the, the Lowndes family. And it's just about equal respect. Um, we're in a vulnerable position being on the road and we're the ones that are going to be affected. Like, um, we're not encapsulated in a car and we're the ones that are going to be um, worse off in an incident and just doing your best to wear bright clothing and I always wear a, uh, have a rear tail light on as well. Um, so we've got the lights for Lounsey, um action as well. It's just about doing your part. And if I feel like if you're visible doing your part hopefully the car or the motorist is going to respect that as well so hopefully just just creating awareness creating respect between both car and driver we've got a we know we've got a bad culture at home of of of, yeah cars versus cyclists and you got to take take your ego out of it sometimes cyclists like to fight back and things like that just put yourself in their shoes as well and do, do your best to be safe on the road and, and not be ignorant. I think a lot of cyclists are ignorance to the dangers and things like that. Um, yeah, do your part and, and be seen. Um, 
because it's, it's your life. You've got to protect. That's perfectly articulated. I think you're a great beacon, literally and metaphorically, for that, uh, for that message. And I think that's something that should catch on. And like you said, some, uh, sometimes the culture of cycling can get more concerned with the image we're projecting and you know, looking good for photos or whatever else rather than the practicality of, the, of our situation being you know, quite vulnerable on the road. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, it's well summarised. This... Now, Taz, I know cycling is more or less full-time in your life at the moment, but it hasn't always been. Although you've been the national champion on mountain bike, you've uh, been very high performer in road racing in Australia, cycling's always been a uh, companion to your other uh, pursuits in life you're working in Kyneton Hospital am I right you finished uh, your degree in exercise physiology can you tell us a bit about your off-bike life and what you do for work yeah I'm an exercise physiologist uh, I did a bachelor in exercise science now my master's in physiology did it over a very long time of while I was also traveling a lot and uh, racing mountain bikes overseas I think it took like six years or something to get my degree. Um, I've got it and yeah, I've been working. Um, at, I've, I've worked at both private practice and, and a hospital. Um, but yeah, we work work with mainly older adults. We do get, to get some uh, some younger uh, clientele. But yes, yeah, it's, it's about getting the best out of people with, with injury and, and chronic illness. Um, really quite quite enjoy my work, to be honest. It's... Uh, quite rewarding um helping people improve their day-to-day and lives and uh yeah i uh enjoy the concept of having to motivate people and getting them going and uh it can be quite fun to do so have a lot of good good banter and things like that and and do you feel like experience in high performance sport is helpful for your work in exercise physiology do you get like some of the lessons you might learn from training or racing is there much kind of crossover in the learnings between your sport and your work? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, and also like past injuries as well. I've had my fair share of uh, of, yeah. of injuries, so sometimes I can share empathy yeah. with clients quite well, or and things like that. But yeah, crossover. Um, you know, I can I share the pain of exercise. Yes. I never prescribe an exercise I haven't really tried before. Uh, yeah, and. Yeah, whether it's uh, weight loss, weight ma- like something like that, or managing your glucose, things like that, yeah. you've you kind of got that insight from the sporting background as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, there's definitely definitely crossover, and sometimes I think clients like to hear you've have some shared experience as well. I think yeah, it can work quite well. You know, no one likes to just be told what to do. You got to have you got to be able to really sell it. Like I'm selling exercise to someone. And uh, if I could sell them a, a prescription, it'd be much easier because they'd just pay for it and then take it and then forget about it. But exercise, you have to actually do behaviour change and um, look at things more holistically. You have to draw out their beliefs of what's important to them and why they should exercise rather than just telling them to exercise because any, you know, your doctor tells you to lose weight, do you go and do it? Yeah. Uh, most, people, most people don't. Um, You've got to work out why, they, why they'd want to. And usually it's not until someone can't do something that they'll, they'll make a change. And if they're seeing you, extremely fit individual, out training, exercising all the time, I mean, you're practising what you preach. As my old boss, Phil Sutherland, used to say, exercise is the billion-dollar drug that never gets prescribed. 
yeah, that's it. Um, exercise is medicine, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, your life here, you got a couple more months here in the USA than back home uh, to Aussie with, uh, with Mon here. How's the... How has your journey been? I'm going to ask Mon this first. How's the journey been here in the USA? You've been living between camper and hotels and Airbnbs. And how has the American life on the road been treating you guys? I think it's been amazing. I think the way that we've done it is just get the best out of our time here. See everything that we can see. I'll look up, you know, things on Pinterest or I'm sort of, in uh, in charge of the tourist uh, side of it all, um, just see all the sites that we can, and we speak to local people and they tell us what to do. Like so many places we've gone to is just because we've spoken to someone at a bakery or at a bike shop, and they tell us what to do, and we'll just go and do it. Um, and I, just the people here have been amazing as well. They're just so excited for our trip. Why we're here. We had one lady like tear up one time when we said everyone's being so nice and she was just like so happy because she's like, oh, you know, our country's been on and off a little bit lately. So it's so nice to have people coming here and enjoy their time and hear that people are accommodating to us. Um, But yeah, we've just seen so much and we're on the road a lot, so it can get a bit tiring, but we've been fine with it. We just, yeah, work through it and... uh, it's my first time being overseas riding as well, so seeing that and like seeing the world in a different way and just by foot, it's it's unreal. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was saying to Taz before, you guys, have, I mean, you've been in Kansas, Colorado, then you drove from Colorado up here to Wisconsin. I mean, you've seen the real guts of America. I mean, this is the this is the the real the real America, you know, not like the what you see on television, New York, LA, et cetera, et cetera. This is like a, a window into into the American heartland, as they say. Now, Taz, you've got a couple more races here in this Lifetime GP. What's, uh, what's kind of inspiring you for the rest of the year, cycling-wise, and maybe any plans or goals for, the, for next year and the future in your cycling? Yeah, I've got uh, three rounds left. I just want to have a have a good one to be honest yeah. you've been plagued by bad luck you flat tires it was, was it seven or eight flat tires at unbound uh leadville got a flat it sounds like uh the tusher you got flats i mean you you're due some good luck yeah yeah i just like i think the series is gonna be difficult to do well now yeah. uh i've just come off gastro the last four days yeah. so um, and i've got schwammigan next week um yeah, I've gone well in the races outside the series, yeah. which is good, but it's kind of frustrating because yeah, yeah. they're not the ones I, I they're, some of them have been some of the best races I've done, yeah. but they're not really the ones I'm going to be peaking at. So Breck Epic, which is a big one, your second or third overall, third overall there to Lockie Morton and Corey Wallace. I mean, yeah, there's some, some big results here. Yeah, um, yeah, certainly. And yeah, it's just now translating it into where the, all, you know, the Grand Prix races have really deep fields where you know top 30s really difficult almost is difficult enough just to get into um i know it can be competitive uh just gotta just gotta go out and just land one basically like it's it's not complicated i just gotta have a smooth run into it no mechanicals and hopefully i can go okay um so yeah hope like i'd just love to get like a top 10 for for all this is over um or at least just have a race I'm, i'm really satisfied with um and it's still three rounds left, and I've still it's best of five, and I've 
can still drop one of these flat tyre plague traces, so there's still a chance I can move up in this series as well, so hopefully I can do that. Um, and yeah, post this, I'll have a good break. I think I'm going to have road nationals off this year. Just enjoy... First time in how many years you haven't? You won't have done road nationals in Ballarat? Uh, I'm 28 now. Yeah. I've done it every year since under 19, under 19s. So probably 11. Yes, yeah, so 11, 10, 11 years. It's ridiculous. And that's a lot of Christmases and uh, New Year's. And like I think I've, I've managed it okay, but it, it's still always a strain. Like... Yeah, yeah. Mon and I, it's like the only time you get off work as well. There's yeah. always that Christmas New Year period, which is like, yeah, beauty. Yeah. I can train for road nats, but then it's the only time you get off, so you want to go do yeah. stuff. So, like, Mon and I will go on holiday over that period, and uh, I'll be training my ass off still. And it's just like, you just want to have a break yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And this year, I've mean, been full time most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been racing now for six months like this whole the whole time the US is racing and then leading into the US he was so busy um, we had marathon champs the week for Unbound in, in Australia like it's just been hectic since since the year started so have a good break and then uh, I'm not really too sure after the break I'll fully know but I will not have a crack at, at uh, cross country Nats wouldn't mind which doing. is your roots where you started yeah yeah go back to some uh, basics um, this year I did cross country Nats and like, I still haven't really focused on it, and I was still kind of in the mix. Yeah. And I think if I, yeah, put a bit of focus on it. And I like how you don't have to do quite the same volume of training. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite dynamic training as well, where I can do a bit of gym, do a bit of running, things like that. And um, it's also something I really want to do, is just get back in the gym a bit more and, uh, yeah, just do some a variety of things. I wouldn't mind trying Ironman, things like that. Yeah. Mon's got me swimming every now and then. Inspired. Oh, I shouldn't say Iron Man first off, half Iron Man, yeah. and then and then look at it. Uh, but yeah, just enjoy the fruits of life a bit over summer, and uh, yeah, see what happens. Awesome. Now to finish up, I want to ask you one question. I ask this of all people I get on the program who have got a bit of history in the sport, but you've seen a lot of changes uh, in the past. Well, probably 12, 13 years you've been in the sport, probably longer. What do you think's been the biggest development as far as bike technology is concerned? Like you, that's that's uh, that's had an impact on your performance. Like, oh, there's a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, mountain like road bikes haven't changed that much in like you know, yeah, yeah. there's still two triangles. Yeah. But um, mountain bikes is is this, it's bonkers what I used to ride yes, to what yeah. I ride now. Well, like, you were I think Leadville this year. You were one of the few that was on a hard towel, and it was a traditional like flat bar uh um narrower tires kind of short travel hardtail for for leadville whereas most people are on dual suspensions and whatnot i mean yeah how uh, what, uh, which part of the mountain biking you think's been a, the biggest change or impact on performance uh, when i was when i used to, used to mountain bike I remember we used to buy these like 10 packs of tubes and we'd go through about one, <laughs> 10 pack a month yeah, remember, yeah. and every mountain bike ride I'd at least change one or two tyres yeah. um, so I'd say say tyre technology is up there yeah. Uh, so yeah probably tyre technology yeah, just yeah. going tubeless like and it particularly coming from Bendigo yeah. it, oh I taught you how to really ride yeah. like look after tyres just plowing through rock gardens yeah. every day is no option but um, yeah no longer like 
we're putting tyres in tubes every every second, every ride. I say that actually to young mountain bikers that I get to coach. I often suggest start out on a hardtail, narrow tyres, and it teaches you to pick your lines. Yeah, when it's, you got a lot more at stake, you got to get more feedback from the bike. I mean, that's something you and I grew up with, like changing tubes all the time. So it really motivated you to get good at line choice, whereas you can be a bit more complacent with wide tyres, dual suspension. Yeah, yeah, you used to have to like really calculate your risk, like you tiptoe this bit, then like, oh, just gap that rock and, you know, that's a risk worth taking because otherwise I'll flat tire if I just miss it or things like that. Um, But now you just straight line things and you have these big, yeah, suspension's bigger, everything's smoother, tyres are bigger. Um, Yeah, mountain biking's definitely got a lot faster because of that. Yeah. All right, mate. Good luck for the rest of this uh, series here in the USA and the journey back to Australia. And, um, yeah, good on you. Thanks for sharing a bit of your story. No, I appreciate your time. It's been uh, great to talk and uh, fun to have Mon on the podcast as well. Yeah, thank you, Mon. Thanks. <laughs> All right, cheers, Tasman Nankovis. Good on you.